Welcome to another episode of Live with Bitcoin, a podcast where we delve into the real life stories of people whose lives have been transformed by Bitcoin. We're not here to talk about technical analysis or price predictions. We're interested in the human side of the Bitcoin story. My name is Vivian Chain, and I'm your host. Today, the guest who will be joining us is Benjamin Justman. Ben. Ben is a second generation winemaker, building a low time preference business on the Bitcoin standard. He's been making natural wine since 2019 in the Paonia, Colorado, which is the highest elevation grape growing regions in North America. At his winery, Peony Lane, Bain has found success by letting the nature guide the winemaking process to let the unique flavors come through without a dodgy ingredients list. Starting a winery is an inherently low-moving operation, and during this process, Bain has been able to build his house and discovering Bitcoin, pushing him even further into a low-time preference lifestyle. Before winemaking, Ben was also someone always wanted to have his own business and struggle to find a balance between waiting to build fast and having patience. I'm sure a lot of people share that, so for sure we'll be digging that into, uh, into the chat. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Vivian. Happy to be here. All right, let's get started. Um, we both know now that you're into wine and Bitcoin, but um, I'm not going to go to any of that first. Um, I wanted to start with your time before winemaking. Uh, in my research, I found out that you studied um, uh, geology in university. Why, why geology? I was studying physics and then just was not vibing with it. And I took a geology class and the way my school was structured, you took one class at a time for three and a half weeks, and then you had four days off and then you took your next class. So that really helped you dive into subjects and it also oriented your time. So in geology, we could just go on field trips for a week and the professor could reasonably not really expect you to miss anything else because you only had one class. So I took my first geology class. We went to New Mexico for a week. Mm -hmm. And I came back and was like, holy crap, I can just go camping for school. I'm going to do this. Um, but also it was a connection to the land that I really liked. It was cool thinking about long-term time processes, like how the world changes over millions of years and understanding the formations of the earth, because I've always been someone who, well, I grew up as a child playing in the mud all the time and living on an orchard. And so learning this deeper level of the world and how it was formed and how it is today is was just really vibed with me. I see. What else have you dabbled into between, I guess, graduating from university and, and winemaking? So right after college, I moved to Telluride and ski bummed for a winter. And then I moved to Vietnam for a year and taught English. While I was there, I read a book about um, the Federal Reserve called the only game in town about how they really have no options left. Um, this was in 2017. And I didn't find like really dive into Bitcoin for another three years, but that kind of laid the framework of, okay, I know the Fed's screwed. And then I found Bitcoin. I'm like, oh, cool. Here's another option. How did it translate into making wine in 2019? It really just came down to my dad had been making wine reasonably as a hobby winemaker for a long time and he knew i was looking for what to do next with my life and he had his own business his entire life so 
good person to talk to about that. And realist, really, he just like kind of told me the numbers of like what it costs to make a wine bottle and what you can sell it for. And I was like, well, that makes sense. You have all the equipment to at least get me started. I'll need to upgrade it. And you figured out how to make wine. So I bet I can figure out how to make wine. So I, you know, thought about it for a little bit and kind of just jumped in and went for it, got a liquor license and made wine that first year. Um, I, how the job allowed me to is it gave me the flexibility to work for 10 hour days. And then on Thursday night, I would drive home to Peonia, which is a five hour drive, make wine three 12 hour days and then drive back five hours then do that again for an entire month was probably my biggest stretch of work in my life. And I mean, once that's done, then the wine kind of just sits in a barrel for a year. So you can chill to a degree. And then I, everything shut down in March that year. And then I moved home to build my house back to Paonia. Nice, nice. So tell me more about your wine, um, natural wine. What exactly is natural wine? How is it different from most store-bought conventional conventional wine? Natural wine is kind of going back to the roots of winemaking where you're just being a bit more hands-off in a lot of different processes. So in the grape growing process, we are not spraying anything um, for the well, I guess there's, we spray for powdery mildew. That's it. It's an organic spray. And the idea is we're trying to not disrupt the natural microbiome because the wild yeast that lives in our vineyard is what we use to ferment. And if you're continuously disrupting that, you're going to get yeast that turns your, what you want to be wine into vinegar. So we're trying to just let things go on their own path. Uh, we don't irrigate often at all where the roots go super far deep um, to get water to get new nutrients to get that brings out like some more flavor in the in the wine and in the winemaking process i'm essentially not adding anything i'm just taking the wine in each phase and moving it to the next phase and putting it in physical locations to succeed putting it in the right space and letting the natural processes do its thing so you get wine that leaves you feeling a lot better, has more interesting flavors, in my opinion, just because you're going to get more unique flavors. Because I, as a winemaker, am not really in control. It's whatever flavors were meant, like whatever flavors my vineyard wanted to produce are what are there. In conventional winemaking, you can kind of manipulate wine to taste a lot of different ways there's modif there's chemicals that you can add in to change flavor texture tannins uh, preservatives all different things and even the yeast that you add initially is gonna affect the flavor of the wine so you can get you can make wine that tastes all different ways and in that a lot of people do have pretty sensitive reactions to what they put in wine know a lot of people that get headaches from drinking wine and therefore kind of stop drinking. And then they have my wine or another natural wine and they feel great. There's a, not much transparency in it. So it's hard to kind of know what you're buying. There's no ingredients list required on a wine bottle when there's a lot of things added to normal wine. So 
it's it's a bit hard to tell and people just kind of assume it's wine gives them a headache but it's really the things in the wine that give them a headache interesting i guess sometimes when people don't see the the label they don't their minds don't really go there oh how what what else are in the wine right it kind of reminds me of my experience with coffee beans so when you buy coffee beans from coffee shops oftentimes you see on the bag that they roast the beans and they've gone through some sort of process it's oftentimes washed and there are very small portion of natural processed beans and then I've asked them like why why you have so little natural beans why they're always washed and then what they said is that it, it is to keep to, to have them go through the same process to keep the consistency of the flavor but at the same time the naturally processed ones are almost guaranteed that it will always taste better than the washed ones and this is what I always go for um, so I guess it does make a huge difference the reason that your natural coffee beans are tasting better is because that's the high quality coffee bean when you wash them and you go for that consistency, you can use lower quality coffee beans because you're not worried about, um, yeah, if that, if that increases, I don't know coffee, but if that increases consistency, you can use worse coffee beans. So you can farm using worse practices if you control everything. And um, that's in the wine, wine process as well. So I find beauty in the difference of each vintage it just requires a bit more thought because yeah, you buy, say you buy my 2020 and you, then you expect the same flavors from my 2021. That's just not going to happen. Um, realistically, like I'm still the same winemaker and I'm still trying to do the, like the same things on my end, but I'm leaving so much up to nature that it is changing. And as a business, it's kind of hard to, you know, you want your wine to be as good every time you want a consistent product, but in, in farming and trying to keep up with um, whatever the, like whatever position nature puts you in, that consistency is unrealistic. And I think in the long run, it leads you towards a worse product overall or on ag in aggregate. Um, I wanna talk about the process from zero to one because I think you didn't have, you, you were, let's put it this way, you weren't a wine expert before you getting into this. No. It must have been, <laughs> to take a leap of faith for something that you don't know what will happen, how it will pan out psychologically. What was it like? That was, <laughs> it was pretty, <laughs> it was, it was definitely a pretty difficult time to, yeah, there's so much up in the air. I mean, I, I bet what I invested before I did a single wine sale, I'd invested, um, maybe three or four times what my net worth was before I started the winery into the winery. So I had no product market fit. I had, you know, no experience making wine beforehand and um, definitely had some serious mistakes going into it uh, before I knew anything um, about whether it was going to work or not. So yeah, there was a lot of really stressful nights and it was, yeah, it was, it was very hard, but what gave me, what gave me confidence was I knew my dad made wine that was a, a hit. Like he made wine that people loved. There was, there's 10 wineries in my area and he had the like it wine for the period of time that he was selling it, which was two years. So I knew it like if my dad could do it 
I felt like I could do it because I he was just going for it. And I started actually doing research and was fully invested in this, whereas for him, it was more than a hobby, but not his lifeline. So worst case, it was a great learning experience. But yeah, the, the first year of selling wine, I'd sold out pretty quick. And once I had that product market fit, I knew I was going somewhere. So because every year I'm going to get better at making wine, selling out of it, literally the first wine you ever make in your life is a pretty cool feeling. So just building from there. And like, like you said, it's a slow process. Everything takes, if I do any expansion, any new winemaking, like I don't, that product doesn't hit the market for two years. I don't see the, the financial return for at least three realistically, if it's going to take me a full year to sell that. So yeah, everything about this is just, you know, building for the future and who knows where I'll be in three years. So you're constantly thinking about where you want to be in the future, how big you want to get, because you have to do it now. And the lucky thing though, is that with wine, if you don't sell something, it gets better with time. So if you get too big, it's really easy to scale back, but it's really hard to scale up. <laughs> in hindsight, do you feel like you underestimated how hard it would be when you first started? When I first started was the hardest part. That Yeah, that first winemaking season when I had a, a full-time job elsewhere, five hours away and had to commute and not know what I was doing. Like that not only was scary, but it was insane. I was running on absolute fumes of like, huge days of work. Um, and then I would just say every winemaking season since then, even if I've grown in scale has become a bit easier because I know what I'm doing and I live in Paonia. So <laughs> it's the, the commute was hard, but yeah, there's a ton of work, but at the same time, like I just, it doesn't feel that way when you're working for yourself. Um, maybe there's days where you're, you're tired, but you got what you needed to get done and you're going to see the direct benefit of it. It's just so much less tiring to work for yourself. It's the same for everything. It's always the hardest when it first begins. Um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people share this experience and I'm sure a lot of people are going through this painful kind of foundational beginning right now. So what are the things that you think were worked on you that you want to share with keep people going to push through that phase to see the, the light of the, the, at the end of the tunnel? I think you just have to, well, I mean, I don't know, everyone's different, but I, I think for me, it was like, what else am I going to do? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to work for someone. I want to, I want to have a business and this is the business I'm starting. Um, the, I think the hardest thing for me was not being like extremely passionate about wine when I got going into it and being like, am I really going to start a winery and be a winemaker for the rest of my life? And I'm not passionate about wine. So I had to, you have to find what you're passionate about. And I've both found a lot more interest in wine. Um, uh, being around it all the time, you explore really cool things about it. And then what I realized is what the wine, the thing about wine that I am passionate about is 
both sharing like what I've created with people and the community that wine brings. So I, if I make wine, I like, I'm part of a lot of awesome conversations that have around a wine that people have around a wine bottle, you know, um, that's my favorite part is, is the people and wine brings a lot of human connection. So yeah, I guess it's not like wine is is my vehicle, but it's it's like the next order things are the things that I find passion in. And so when when I'm talking to someone that's just kind of starting something, I'm I'm curious what they're actually passionate about because if you're just doing something to do it, you're you're probably not going to win. You can work your ass off, but if someone's passionate about it, they're going to work harder than you because they want to. So I, I think you gotta you gotta find your passion. You gotta ask yourself why you're doing it, and hopefully have that long term vision, even if that shifts. That's so true because it's it's not sometimes it's not about getting excited or getting passionate about the specific thing, but finding a connection between what you're already passionate about as genuinely as a human being, and then to link to what you're doing. And just like you said, using it as a vehicle to achieve what you want in life and uh, um, find that connection that you're, you're keep you, that keeps you going. I'm going to ask you a hard question here. Um, your dad made success, made, made wine and then had success. And then um, I remember um doing research and watching you on other podcasts and you said he barely knew what he was doing and then he was just making it and following a, a process and you, you were too um so how much do you think it was luck me my yeah. my my success yeah oh, like um so i define i define luck as when or good luck as when preparation meets opportunity and so I was given an amazing opportunity to start a start a winery um, with great uh, the great foundation kind of already there to do it, um, and I had to work my ass off to to get there. So, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, like I have no control over my winemaking process to a degree. I have control over the farming, which sets a great foundation for the winemaking process. But every year, the people, the reason people don't do wild fermentations is because you are not in control. When you do a, a lab produced yeast strain, you know what you're getting in that fermentation. I'm assuming after 15 years of fermenting wild, with wild yeast that our vineyard is still going to produce um, a great microbiome every year. It might not happen one year and that would be horrible, but I'm, yeah, I'm leaving a lot up to chance, I would say. Yeah, the reason why I'm asking this is because um, many people, like you said, for, for you, somehow the low hanging fruits is to to have a vineyard and, and do winemaking professionally. Um, and a lot of people may not have that opportunity. Um, and I wanted to talk about the the concept of luck because um, there's literally a book to to teach you how to be lucky, and this is it's mm -hmm. it's a science study where where they um, did it on a number of people, significantly, um, statistically significant, I guess, and then they basically found some correlations of, of um, how how people are lucky, like how people 
are are how how some people are more luckier than others, and then it's their correlation. Of course, it's not causation, but there's different mindset that goes into these things. And just like you said, there's a lot of times where things that we can't control, but to what extent you can work your ass off towards the, the direction you're going into. And you're right, like opportunities always left to the, the people who are, who are more prepared. Um, so I guess it's, I guess it's a message to, to send of um, if you're in a less fortunate space, um, keep going. Um, and then once, when you're ready, when you're accumulating your effort to a certain degree, luck will, luck, uh, air quote, will, will find you in the least expected way, I guess. Sure. And so I, it's, it's. Yeah, there's an element of luck, I would say, in what I've built. Um, and to like, if you're wherever you are, you're lucky to be here. Like you've won the lottery to be alive. And then there's there's different levels above that. Um, to call what I've built luck would be to ignore the huge failures I've had and the hard work it took to, to get where I am. Um, I think what the the thing i think back of is to like how i've created any any luck in my life or um any success in my life is one really foundational principle the one thing i really remember my mom drilling into my head was whatever like find what you want to do because whatever you want to do you're going to be successful at is the message my mom sent to me so i've been working on the assumption that as long as i find what i want to do i'm going to be good at it and therefore, like when I break through, when I have huge failures, I'm like, look, this is the learning process. Is this what I want to do? I'm going to figure it out. And I'm able to move forward from those. I think you find yourself pretty unlucky is if you let bad things compound on each other. Whereas if you can let bad things slide and keep diving into the good things, you start finding more quote unquote luck. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's 100% true. Um now let's shift in gears. I want to talk about Bitcoin. Um, how did um, Bitcoin come into all of this, entered your life? What did that, uh, what happened? So I was really into personal finance before I found Bitcoin. Basically, as soon as I got out of college, I built a budgeting spreadsheet and just like dove into learning about personal finance and unfortunately the fiat economy and living in that world. And so then I did everything I could with my personal finances as far as like getting them on autopilot, um, having a savings account that gave you 2% interest to keep up with what I thought was inflation, um, investing in index funds for retirement, just like all passive investing, just trying to do like what every financial advisor says, budgeting, savings account for a few months, passive investing is the way to make it. Um, once I got that set for myself and I was like, oh, wow, this was cool. I like teaching. I want to help my friends. Like you guys aren't budgeting. Let's, let's like have lunch and I'll help you set up a budget. I'll get you the right credit card, um, get you the right savings account. Like we're going to, we're going to get your life going. Um, so I was just working, helping with helping friends, talking to friends about that. And then in 2019, the interest rate on my savings account dropped to, I mean, like 0. 25% or something, basically zero. And so that was kind of my baseline assumption was I know inflation's eating away my savings, but I have a 2% savings account. 
and therefore I'm staying even and that's fine. I'm not trying to grow my money in that savings account. That was my foundation. And when that got dropped out, I was like, well, shoot, I have to find something else because this isn't working anymore. And then I started the business. My finances went crazy, like totally different, totally different paradigm, um, investing as much money as you own into a business. And, um, my first real, like, I didn't, I thought my, I was living with a guy in Denver who I just met off Craigslist, um, now a great friend. Um, and he, he was getting into Bitcoin, but he was kind of my, I called him my crazy libertarian friend because, um, I didn't see the world the same way as him, but he was into Bitcoin, um, didn't really try and convince me on it. And then when I moved back home, I instantly moved in with a, a good friend from high school who was a Bitcoiner. And we would talk uh, finance, um, geopolitics, all kinds of things. And so inevitably Bitcoin comes up and he's, he's like, you should look into this. And while I was building the house, I just put on Bitcoin podcasts and started listening to Bitcoin podcasts and eventually um, had a lot of those, as every Bitcoiner knows, just those breakthroughs of like, holy shit moments. And um, yeah, then I've realized that, you know, I was super into personal finance. I was super into education. So obviously I'm trying to educate all my friends and um, I'm passionate about Bitcoin. So I've just learned to follow my passions. And if I'm also doing wine, then I just want to do what I can, Bitcoin and wine. And so I started accepting Bitcoin for sales, for wine sales last summer and got some awesome feedback. But it was really just trying to be an education vehicle, trying to be out there as a successful business who accepts Bitcoin and change the common perception. So in your um, trips to farmer's market, do people get like no coiners specifically do they get um, interested curious about you accepting bitcoin how does it work so i don't really it's farmers markets are pretty fast-paced i'm trying to do tastings i'm trying to sell wine so it's rare that i have the opportunity to like explain bitcoin to someone there are times where i do and that's awesome i love taking the time to to talk to someone about that but for the most part the experience is people walking by and being like, oh my God, he accepts Bitcoin, whoa. And then just walking by, you know? I guess that's a touch point, uh, right? It, subconsciously, it mm -hmm. must have stayed. And then when they see enough Bitcoin signs at um, ATMs, their local pubs and farmer's market, they're gonna start thinking about, okay, I, I see this super frequently. This is the mere exposure effect where you see something enough and you naturally grow favorable to it, um, how human mind works. So it uh, offers a great touch point for, so you're secretly orange peeling a lot of people without you knowing. Exactly, and that was my main goal for doing it. Then there's all the, the boomers that come by and be like, be careful with that Bitcoin. I'm like, man, <laughs> one guy was like, be careful, Bitcoin's down 50% this year. I was like, man, it's down 70%, bro. Um, but then there's a lot of, there are people that come up and are psyched. Like. I think the most valuable things I've had is a Bitcoiners just living in the wild, you know, living his life, her life. And um, they're just walking down the street and they see my sign and then we chat and it's clear that we're both Bitcoiners. It's not like, oh, I own some, it's like, we're into this. 
Um, it's really cool to meet other Bitcoiners and it's especially cool to meet other Bitcoiners just randomly in the world. So I've met, I've made some friends with that. And then I've just ended up meeting a lot of Bitcoiners through that because everyone's on the same mission. We're all trying to orange pill the world. Um, everyone doing it in their own ways. Well, that's why we're having this conversation right now. And part of the reasons this is a saying is, is I want to bring everyday Bitcoiners together and see there are people just like you are fighting for the same mission and are living their lives and by incorporating Bitcoin into some aspects of their lives, either it's in, in their career, in their personal lives, in their financial decisions, or how they conduct themselves, um, beliefs in the world. Um, I, I try to make this more relatable, kind of a charging station when you're when maybe Bitcoin price when it's down and you're having a bad day. Um, maybe tune into this and uh, see there's so many people handing on to this just like you do. So keep hodling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really helps to have people around when I mean, it's especially if you're like, really wrong about the price in the short term, which I think a lot of us have been. Um, or like our long term vision is, you know, it's just not it's too early. It's not coming as to fruition. It's really nice to have other people around because for most people, most of the people in their lives already think they're crazy and now think they're crazy and losing all their money. <laughs> and you know how little research they've done into money. I know how little research all my friends have done into money because I was trying to help them before I found Bitcoin. People are clueless. They don't know anything about their finance. They don't know anything about the Federal Reserve. Um, they don't know anything about the dollar or whatever money they use. And I saw that before Bitcoin. So now, yeah, it's easy to, for me to be like, yo, cool. You think I'm losing my mind? Like, I know you don't know anything about money. So I'm going to, you know, discount your opinion. But also it's these people I care about in a lot of different ways or, or people that really care about me and that energy, regardless of how much stock I put into it, some of that energy, that negative energy does seep in and having other people in my life that have done the research and get it is super helpful for mental health mindset. And I just find that generally if I'm like picking different baskets of people to go make new friends on or to just be around, I'm going to find the largest percentage of awesome people within Bitcoiners. Like, I'm not going to be friends with every Bitcoiner. Everyone's different. But if we are both Bitcoiners and we share some other passion, we're probably going to get on really well. True. Yeah, it's it's amazing how easy to start a conversation with any Bitcoiners. It's just a natural conversation starters and within five minutes you start to get to know a lot about them because they get into how they got into bitcoin how they how how they have changed since and it's really you you basically skip the small talks and then get straight to know a person quite well well relatively right in in the really short of amount of time so in your circle and yourself what do you think people are interested in bitcoin like what got them really interested in Bitcoin because there's so many aspects, there's so many layers to it. There's the technology, there's the, the network, 
um, you have the financial aspect of it for sure, and then you also have the financial freedom part where it brings a lot of access that wasn't previously available. So for you and for people around you, uh, what do you think are the biggest appeals of Bitcoin? For for me, it was personal finance. I mean, that was my lens. Uh, I just wanted my money to not be inflated away. Now I realize it's、mm -hmm. being stolen.、Uh, if you do something successful, people are going to want to emulate, and you get a lot more. Your words mean a lot more. So I find the better I do in wine, the more people trust me about what I say about Bitcoin. In the short term, you don't really know what you're going to get. So when I make wine, I can taste it, and I'm like, "Oh, that's probably going to be good." You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't know what it's going to be like in in two years or three years or four years. And when you buy Bitcoin, you're also having that long term time horizon because you don't know if it's going to go down the next day or for the next year、um, or up. And so you don't know if you're making the right financial decision in the short term, but you know you're on the right path in the long term. So it's really both of them have really taught me to be patient. Like with wine, I, you know, I, I, like you said, I don't see any financial return for so long. But when I started it, you know, I'm so fired up. I just started a business. Like, let me do that. But no, I have to have a full time job for the next two years while I'm starting the business. I can't get going on it. And really, like now is, or I mean, the last few summers. But now I'm finally like at a point where I'm like, I will never need another job again. This is what I do.、Um, it's taken four years to get to that point. And I've been ready to just do wine for that entire time. And with Bitcoin,、uh, I hit my point of like freaking out. This is amazing. I this is the only thing I want to own. Going、um, super far into it, and then for this the entire year of 2022, oh, I bought the dip. Oh shoot, there was another dip. I bought the dip. You know, it's just continuously dipping,、uh, which is great in the long term. But in the short term, you're like, man, this is a little disheartening.、Um, and it's that same way with like wanting to sell your wine, but you're like, no, it's it's just not ready. I have to wait. I see. Yeah, it's it's amazing how. The entire landscape of your life start to shift when you adapt that low time preference, but it's it's not easy. It's not easy, and you live day to day, and the way you're experiencing in the moment is very very different, and it can be hard sometimes to always have that mindset very very strongly. So for someone who are Kind of struggling in the short term, but want to keep this mindset. What do you think? Some of the, some of、um, what are some things that have helped you to keep your mental state steady? I guess that's that's something I've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about. And the most important habit that I adopted was journaling. I find that. I journal every night before bed, just just stream of consciousness. Whatever I want to put on the page goes on the page,、um, for how long or how short I want, and that definitely, like just just saying I feel better is is very much true. But anytime I go through a down phase in my life, where like maybe for a week I'm just off and I don't feel great, then. I go and I I journal and I'm like, whoa! I haven't journaled in a week. 
well, maybe that's why I'm down, you know? Um, so that, that always seems to, to correlate at least. And then the recently I've been in 2022, my goal was to work on my body and work on my diet as a way to become a better businessman, because I didn't feel like I was, I felt like my body was holding me back to a degree, um, both mentally and physically. And you want to give it the right nutrients and um, give it the right maintenance to succeed. And so in working on that and finding my own balance um, throughout the last year, I'm just in a much better place physically. And that's put me in a better spot mentally to stay a bit more balanced. Um, also, like when you're going through something hard, when you're building something hard, like you're probably just going to have down times. It's going to suck at times. And I think just knowing that you're going to get through it. And um, if you believe you're on the right path, listen to that and you'll make it through. And it, yeah, it's not a straight line. You know, things suck sometimes. And I just always try and think back. Like I know what it feels like to feel amazing. And I know I'm going to get back there again but I'm not there right now. What's this next baby step I can take? Yeah, that's fine. It's, it sucks sometimes, but um, it's almost good. Like, cause you're not doing everything perfect. So even if you're on the right track, even if you're feeling great, there's probably something you're not doing. And over time that's going to build up and bring you down. So when you're in those down times, you, you felt the, oh, this thing's not, this thing was small, but it's not working. I got to cut that out of my life or at least try to avoid it. Um, and it's those times that you kind of figure out what's dragging you and you can build up stronger every time. Yeah. And also it's all relative. And if you're always feeling amazing, then you can't feel it anymore. Cause there's no, there's no reference. There's no reference point. There's no bar. Um, so I guess it's part of the beauty of life. It's to go through these ups and downs and experience the, the journey. Um, so for those of whom who are, who are kind of struggling right now, who are um, pulling through a difficult time, I guess, hand in there and we're all Bitcoiners. Um, it's going to work out. We just need to get ourselves from A to B. I, I'm kind of... Um recently not liking that phrasing of where bitcoin's gonna win it it's gonna work out it needs to win and it's it's not passive mm -hmm. i mean i'm it's like do your thing and and everyone does their their thing differently for me i love education and so i'm trying to push bitcoin and i'm also trying to save my friends so like the more yeah, I just I don't think Bitcoin winning is a passive thing at this point. And we, it's I don't want to say we all need to do something about it, but um, it feels great to, to try and move it forward. But at the same time, if it needs to win and there's only there's only so many of us, then you you it's almost like you need to do something. You need to go out there and, and um, contribute in a way that you're comfortable with that you, or you're we're happy to, it doesn't have to be being on the street, orange peeling every passengers you, you, you see, but, um, I guess just be available for those that are around you to have that conversation. And I'm maybe in, in your circle, you're already the annoying one trying to talk about Bitcoin all the time. And maybe that's not the case, but I guess just let's all be 
ready to be a touch point when somebody is ready to have that conversation. Yeah, I think that's generally just being a good person. Um, I I think that like going out and approaching people is about Bitcoin just doesn't seem to work all that much. Um, put yourself out there, be your best self as a Bitcoiner. And when people are ready, they'll come to you. Um, I think we all pretty much went through the phase, however long it was for you, of I can't talk about anything other than Bitcoin. This is insane. So I just like to think that all your friends, everyone around you knows that you're a Bitcoiner and you're the person they're going to come to if they have any questions eventually. So I think just be a good person, be out there, be yourself. And um, if you feel comfortable, do it as a Bitcoiner. Just, you know, don't hide that part of you. And I think that's helping. Um, I don't think anyone needs to like do anything specific to move Bitcoin forward. It's just that it it needs to win and it's not a passive thing. So if there is anything you want to do, it's great to do it because it does help everyone. For sure, for sure. Um, you were sharing that um, the process of building a healthy diet and work on the body and the mind really helps in in increasing productivity and just be a better person in general. How was the process like for you? What changed? Uh, what, 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 what were some of the things you did that helped you to get where you are right now? Um, lifestyle wise? I'm by no means in a in a perfect spot. But it's something I've always struggled with diet, and I just didn't really have any education around it. Um, I kind of like I grew up on a farm and was had access to all this amazing food, but it was a classic rebellion case where I was like, oh, parents, you like this stuff, like I'm going to hate it. So I'm going to eat a bunch of processed garbage. And really, it, it became pretty visceral for me. I just like when I was working that job in Denver, I was eating microwave lunch, didn't have time to cook or didn't make time to cook. And felt so empty inside like to the point where some of my ski buddies were like damn dude you have no energy like maybe you should go to the doctor or something but um then when i moved back to peonia i was able to just have a bit more time and um better access to better food um and there's also no not really any restaurants around so you are cooking for yourself a lot more it's a small town so in that you start, I start cooking for myself. And then I start learning a little bit more about what my body does better. And it's slow steps. Um, and I'm at the point where um, if I just eat grass fed beef and eggs, I'm pretty happy. I, I eat more than that. But that's kind of been the foundation of like, if I'm feeling rough, I just go eat some eat a steak and eggs and I'm feeling a bit better. And trying to avoid any anything processed i just don't feel great when i do that that said like i still eat that stuff from now now and then but like i've kind of started noticing so let's say someone offers me an oreo one day and i eat the oreo then the next day i might be eating um, that sugar is just such an addictive substance that it sends you down this hole and it sends well it sends me down a hole i feel like it takes a week for me to get back to normal um, so I try and just with one Ariel. Well, that's the gateway <laughs> drug, right? Um, no, it's 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 more like I, I'm just trying to stay steady. I'm trying to have a little bit more discipline when it comes to that. Not that I was ever super undisciplined, just uneducated, I think. But now I'm educated to a degree, know what works for me. 
And it just, I got to listen to that and stick to it because I know it works in the long run um, where in the short run, you know, having that Oreo is pretty fun. Um, I don't know if it's just my echo chamber. It, it seems like Bitcoiners are a large population of beef eaters. And I've seen a lot of Bitcoiners around me there are um, on carnival diet, which is basically just meat and nothing else, meat and eggs. Um, and, that, and that's it. And they all... I've heard really, really good feedback about this diet. Maybe I try myself. Um, it, it sounds like a lot and it's a lot to adapt, but um, I've I've really seen a lot of people doing this, especially Bitcoiners for some reason uh, that are on this diet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I can't speak to whether a carnivore diet works. I'm definitely no carnivore um, and have no desire to really go that route. I just have found that eating more beef and center, like not worrying about vegetables, worrying about that baseline, just eat. If I eat a pound of beef, that's a good meal. Don't worry about cooking broccoli as well. Um, I still do, but that's given me a lot of boost. And I, I think the, this is just me speculating, but as Bitcoiners, we, a lot of us, like we're staunch, like just Bitcoin, you know? And so then we start kind of wanting to apply that to other parts of our life. We want to both get to the root of things and kind of, if we can just keep it simple and commit to one thing. And I think that people find a carnivore diet is, is both fulfills both of those things. You can get to a very simple baseline, high performance level of nutrition, just from um, simplicity like that. I, I've never done it. Like I said, I have no desire to do it. I don't know like if it quote unquote works and who it works for, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Like I started eating a lot more beef after going to the beef initiative conference. And I saw, I talked to the, the meat mafia guys for a while and their energy was just like, their energy was insane. It was like, I want that. What do you guys do? Oh, you eat a ton of beef. I'm going to try that. And then, uh, I started eating a ton of beef and I started feeling great. So <laughs> kind of just diving into that. I don't know. You got to experiment for yourself and it's, it's cool to do. It's cool to try anything once, you know, go for it and give it a shot. Um, but keep an open mind. That's for sure. Um, another lifestyle question coming in for you. I saw a tweet saying you want to be the Bitcoiner who would never work on a computer. Let's elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a bit of a, it's, it's definitely just said a bit in jest, but basically like in starting my two previous side hustles, um, I learned that I don't want to be doing a ton of, like personally don't want to be doing a ton of marketing. Um, I don't want to be um, at that point, I thought social media, but Instagram um, I found is a huge stressor for me. And I don't want to be in the weeds, like building websites, coding, all that stuff like that is just so stressful to me. I don't want to build my life where I'm on a computer inside. I want to build a life where I'm out talking to people because I enjoy that, um, working with my hands because I enjoy that. And yeah, some there's times on the computer. I'm not, don't want to be a hundred percent off the computer, but the work that I like doing is face to face. And so I may hire people to do all those things. And it's just kind of a recognition of me 
knowing what I like and dislike and wanting to step further into those things and further away from the things I don't like. Um, in Bitcoin, there's so much jargon. There's so many things that like I do not understand and just have no minimal interest of diving into. Um, and there's a like there's a lot of Bitcoiners who are super into tech, super into coding, super into things that I just have no interest in actually doing myself. Um, that it kind of turned. There's a lot of times where it's like, oh, we say Bitcoin's for everyone, but oh, you don't know what this this thing is you don't you haven't set this up um and it's like if look if i know quote unquote when bitcoin wins maybe we won't need to worry about as many things but also we need to i want to say we because i'm not the one that's going to be doing it but i'm an example of a bitcoiner who doesn't need to be super technical and doesn't want to be super technical but still wants to be all in on bitcoin and, and get a lot of the benefits so yeah, I, I think that's more of just a recognition of what I like and dislike doing and pu putting it as a juxtaposition to what a lot of Bitcoiners do for fun or for work or just are more comfortable doing. I'm sure a lot of people actually share this this view of wanting to get outside more, want to meet real people and still have a professional career. How do you, what would you, do you have any tips or ideas on, um, if they don't already have the community of people they can go to talk to, what are some ways you can think of to help them get started on finding something in real life to hold on to uh, without having to work on a computer all the time? Just say yes. Say yes to things yeah. and reach out to people? Yeah. I mean, you'd like be open and, and say yes to new opportunities. Like, don't live live for the framework of abundance you have time to go do these things you can and you say yes oh then i didn't like that cool don't do it again say yes to the next thing you don't meet people you don't change your life by saying no to new things you just have to go out there and do stuff and get uncomfortable and see like hey i was uncomfortable this time but i felt like these seeds were there so i'm gonna go again and give it another shot um yeah you just you have to go out and try new things like if you want to make change in your life, you kind of put in the work. We make small choices in our lives and we choose certain things over others, but they all contribute to, in a way that contribute to, does it make me happy? Um, does it make me feel fulfilled? So what does happiness and fulfillment look like for you? That's the journey I'm on to find out. If I already knew that, I don't think the rest of my life would be as exciting. Um, just trying to find what works and that's the end goal that i probably will never find you know i'll probably never find that total this is what makes me happy experience um just I, my goal is just to get closer to that every day or every week whatever time scale you want that's that's the journey i'm on and what is bitcoin to you what where does bitcoin sits in that journey bitcoin is me not having to worry about my future finances it's setting things on autopilot just like i was trying to do in the fiat system but it's setting things on autopilot just have this don't screw up or if you screw up you do have a little bit of a cushion but if you just set these things if you just set your baseline and your foundation continues to grow you're going to be fine in the future so that gives you a lot more freedom in the present to take risk pursue your dreams do whatever you need to do um 
I mean, it, there's so many other things to what is Bitcoin, but that's that's the way I use it on a personal level. Um, I don't have to worry about as much self-sovereignty. Um, I don't have to worry about um, my other currency hyperinflating in the short term. Um, the dollar is sucks, but it, it works in the short term. Um, so I that's my specific focus. Um, and I find that like, if all my, if everyone else gets on this ride where you can just be like, oh, cool, I'm just literally all I have to do is save for the future and I'm going to be fine. Like I've seen, I've seen the freedom that that's given me and I just want to see that in other people. So it's exciting for me to think about the growth other people and the freedom other people will enjoy if, if they find Bitcoin. That's a great way to think about it because um, if if you because personal sovereignty is something that's extremely lacking lacking today and it's hard to get right and if you get this one big thing an important thing um, on autopilot and you it frees up your time and energy and have a peace of mind to essentially explore in a safer environment. Yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off me. Um, being like Bitcoin needs to win. If it doesn't, we're kind of screwed anyway. Um, if it does, I'll probably be fine future financially. Um, so I have a business that I don't have to get huge to be able to make it. Um, I can build a business because I want to build a business. I can build a business around the things that I want to do and make it a lifestyle that I want to pursue. I don't have to chase money. I can I can just chase a baseline amount of money, business functions, business runs well, business pays for my life, um, and I can grow it as big as I want, as big as I feel makes me happy. Yeah, totally. Um, there are also many Bitcoiners um, that I see are, are longing that sort of retro lifestyle of um, owning a farm, be off the grid, grow their own vegetables, um, crops. Um, beef eaters as well, um, and be basically just as, mu as much self-sufficient as possible. And you're someone who's actually living that lifestyle. And oftentimes we can have this, we can have things in our mind where we think it will be, oh, it will be amazing in concept. Because most people didn't, haven't had experience to experience daily life, a routine over a long period of time on a farm. So what is like to actually live in a remote town, be on a farm, is that really that romantic? And help us visualize um, what, what it's like on a daily basis. It's an extremely romanticized vision that people have. Um, I meet a lot of people that move to where I'm from because they always wanted to retire on a farm um, or have an orchard or have, they're like, oh, I've oh, cool. I've always wanted to have a vineyard. You know, you know how many times I hear that and like, cool. <laughs> That's not like, it's great. Like I, I enjoy my life, you know, but at the same time, they, I know a lot of people that then do that. They buy a small orchard and they have no idea how much work it comes to. Like they want to retire to an orchard. So you want to work 10 hours a day in retirement. My dad worked his whole life building houses, retired quote unquote at like 55 and now works eight to 10 hours a day on the farm. It's his farm, it's his property, it's his life. You know, it's it's like he was working for himself before and now he's working for himself still. But 
you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to own a farm and I'll go garden every once in a while. That'll be nice. No, it's a continuous thing. It never stops and you're always responsible for it. You are responsible for what it produces and your work is directly, directly into that. Like there are people who would be really good at it, but just going from like living your standard office lifestyle to buying a farm and going and living on it. That's, there's a lot of people that are not going to like quote unquote survive that transition and love it. It's yeah, it's, uh, we'd like to move more in that direction, but um, I don't think going all in is, is for everyone. I mean, take steps and move closer. But like, if you, if you say you're living in a city and, um, Bitcoin goes up and you sell everything, you leave all your friends and you go buy a farm out in the country, like you're going to wake up to a pretty harsh reality that there's not a ton going on and you have to be able to make all of your own fun and put in a lot of work to see the fruit. And because there's, there's like a certain baseline of you have to put in a ton of work to see any fruits of your labor. Um, it's not like, oh, if I just do a little, I'll see a little, it's, you got to do a lot and maybe you'll see some, um, yeah, living in a, a small town is quiet, but it's also it's pretty cool. It's pretty peaceful, and it's it's pretty freeing. Um, the the biggest thing I missed living in Denver was just being able to go for a drive. Um, that's how I unwind. And if you just go for a drive in the city, you kind of get stressed. Uh, but in in Paonia, I can just go for a drive up dirt roads and and get to a cool view and and be there alone. And it's you know. If you move to a small town, you got to be pretty comfortable living alone or being alone a lot, uh, working hard and seeing the same people over and over. <laughs> well, thanks for the insight. I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that because oftentimes they don't have the um, proper channel to, to hear about these things from and all they and they, they, they have people that they share the same um wishful thinking i guess and then it just echoes um and it's always good to talk to someone who's actually lived yeah. that concept so i'm coming like the total opposite way where i grew up like in the tiny town and on the farm that we grew all our own food and then i was like screw this i'm going to the city and the city didn't work for me so now i've come back mm. and I've, I've found my balance um and i find that i would just expect that to be the same for people coming the other way. Um, there are people that from my town that move to the city and love it. Um, just like there are people who move from the city to a farm and love it. It's just, um, there's, I, there's so much romanticism in farming, um, that, and I've seen so many people buy the farm, especially retire on the farm, their life stream. And then like, Oh, you have to work. <laughs> And then my last question here is, um, are there any specific piece of media for um, either is a movie or a book, uh, a podcast episode, um, anything, any form of medium that um, has helped you particularly understand better about Bitcoin that you think would be helpful um, that you would recommend? It doesn't have to be just Bitcoin. It can be anything that has helped you. Um, or aid your understanding 
So the pieces of content that probably most affected me were the Sailor series with Robert Breedlove, which I think a lot of Bitcoiners would point people to, um, understanding money. And then for me, I was so deep in the fiat background that like understanding inflation was a total mind fuck. And I didn't, the, one of the last things to click for me was understanding how um, technology is deflationary and our like any any inflation we experience is is theft on top of the on top of like things should just be getting cheaper. Um, so Jeff, the Jeff Booth podcast with Robert Breedlove was super helpful. He also that was that podcast was just about his book, The Price of Tomorrow. So I like podcasts. I don't really like reading about Bitcoin. Um, so The Price of Tomorrow is a great book. And then. I think I think it just just helps to to find like figure out what you're passionate about where you want to learn like I'm gonna point people in directions that I learned from a ton and that was personal finance like I'm a math oriented guy like there's not a lot of people that are super into that so I gotta you know you gotta find the other person's window and uh, and find that so basically now it seems like there's podcasts for everything. Um, in every every little bit of passion, every window. So if you're passionate about something, if you can find the the Bitcoiners that are also into that thing, um, Twitter's a great resource for that. I mean, there's Bitcoiners who are into everything. So um, it's like it's it's um, a growing community now, and you can kind of fit in wherever you want to fit in, and just listen. Like when you when you're really into something, you, you kind of see how the world sees it totally wrong because you're on the inside and you see it. And so say you're really into, like we were talking about health stuff. If you're really into health stuff, you also know that like the food pyramid is, is completely messed up. And, um, there's a lot of things that are told to you that are wrong. And so that if you listen to someone that's like, yo, I hear you on all these things food related. And then also, hey, let's talk about Bitcoin. Like then that window of connection is so there and you're so ready to learn. Um, if you just like, like the Sailor series is long and slow. Those are brutal podcasts. If you're not into it, I don't expect anyone who's not into um, history, finance, like just willing to put in the time to just dive into that. That's insane. So I think you just find what you're passionate about and try to find people who are into Bitcoin, who are also passionate about that. And that'll make learning a lot more fun. That's a good point, because if you're like you said, if you're in the end of something that you realize a lot of of what you were told in the past were wrong. And then once you establish that feedback loop where in other areas in life where I'm not an insider, air quotes, what I'm exposed to might be wrong. And mm -hmm. that opens doors of self-education, that opens doors of um, being open-minded, of, of being more open-minded towards people who may not disagree with you, who have a second opinion, and maybe then is the time for you to listen, listen more on what other people have to say. And it the open-mindedness will, will finally lead you to something else. And that's totally true. Well, um, thanks a lot for joining me today. Um, ben is looking to provide education about the benefits of natural wine. 
and regenerative agriculture, as well as personal finance and Bitcoin. So for those of you who would like to check out Ben's work, you can find him more um, on Twitter at Ben Jessman. Am I right? Yep. And on Noster at BenJ at NosterPlebs.com. That's increasingly where I'm spending more time. Uh, my website is peonylanewine.com and I ship all over the United States. So if you're curious about some good natural Colorado wine, give me a shout or place an order. At one point, I thought you were going to just recite your Noster public key. I was like, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Ben. And uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Vivian Chang and see you in the next episode of Life with Bitcoin.